Hello and thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Damn Good Podcast, your one-stop shop for employee benefits and financial education in the hospitality industry, brought to you by Davidson Asset Management. I'm Alex Keddy, or AK55, your host and corporate benefit specialist, and each episode I'm joined by an expert from a different field within hospitality. From restaurants to catering, luxury hotel management to regional operations, we're asking the big questions to help you, our listeners, arm yourself with the knowledge about the three R's, recruitment, retention and reward, and how employee benefits play a part in that. Who knows, we might even have some fun along the way. Okay, hello listeners and welcome to another episode of the Damn Good Podcast. Today we're joined by the legend that is Esther O'Halloran. Many of our avid listeners will know Esther from her sterling work leading the HR and hospitality organisation and her unending promotion of the hospitality industry, especially among the HR community. So hello Esther, thanks for uh, joining us. Hi Alex, thank you for having me. Not sure about the legend bit, but thank you. You are a legend, that's for sure. <laughs> I've used the word guru a lot as well, so I thought I'd change it to legend uh, this time. So. Yeah, OK. okay. <laughs> but I can assure you life. are a legend. Thank you. Um, so many of, as I said earlier, Esther, many of uh, our listeners will know you from your uh, HR and hospitality um, adventures and exploits. But I wondered if you could give the listeners an, ex- you know, an, an insight into how you got into sort of HR or um, a bit of background to yourself? Ah, so, um, I well, I suppose I fell into hospitality and then fell into HR. Um, initially, like many people, I was a student at art college doing various bar jobs, um, which give you a taste uh, for, you know, working in the sector. But I moved into fashion. Um, initially, I was at uh, in fashion retail for quite a number of years. Loved it. Fast paced, customer facing environment, colourful, creative, bright. Um, I even managed H&M Oxford Circus, uh, which is a huge multi floor uh, store. Um, But I wanted to progress and an opportunity came up through a friend to take on an area operation role with Whitbreads. And so um, I I kind of thought, okay, that's a little bit different, but I've done bar work, so let's give it a go. (laughs) And um, I moved into the hospitality industry many years ago, initially in operations, um, which I think gives you a really good grounding in understanding businesses, P&L, margins, distribution, managing people over multiple sites. Um, And I loved it. Um, Didn't like having to do stock takes and audits and all of that things. I loved training and developing um, people. And um, I I was kind of gravitating more and more towards HR. And at the time, uh, Whitbread had Costa. It was in its infancy there. It was still quite uh, a small brand. And um, they were looking for a resourcing manager to um, head up recruitment at the time. And I thought, oh, I can do that. Um, although they were looking for someone who, you know, was authentic to the Italian heritage of the brand, uh, could speak Italian, had HR qualifications, didn't tick any of those boxes. Um, but I, I persuaded the HR director at the time. I got an interview and um, I said, well, I can change my surname, put the O instead of O'Halloran. Hallorano sounds Italian. 
I'll dye my hair black, so I'll look Italian. I'll learn Italian even. Um, and he, <laughs> I think he just gave up and gave me the job. Um, and, but on the provision that um, I studied for a HR qualification, which I'm glad I did, actually. So um, I'm proud to have a master's in HR and be a fellow for the CIPD. And that's kind of my early start many years ago in HR and hospitality. And is that where you got your love for coffee, I get it? Oh, oh, absolutely. Actually, I can make a good coffee. I know how to froth that milk. My latte art isn't brilliant, but, you know, it's, uh, it's getting there. But yes, I do judge places on their coffee quality. Excellent, excellent. Um, so moving on a bit, um, some recent research from Forth revealed that 8.3% of hospitality staff left the sector between August and September this year. And our own damn white paper research, which we launched the findings with, your good organisation, HR and Hospitality, found that 81% of HR professionals noted an increase in employees leaving their operations or organisations. So retention of staff is absolutely crucial, it's clear. Um, and of increasing salary is obviously a hot topic just now. We know we're going through the, the issues with yeah. the economy just now. Um, so people and organisations are increasing salaries. But why do you feel that it seems that a lot of organisations just use that as the sort of, you know, sort of little sweetener to get people on board? Is, is there better things that hospitality can do, do you think, um, to, to rather than just using the salary stick? Yeah, I, I or think... Or carrot, I should say. I, yeah, I, I think the salary stick, carrot, um, is being used across sectors, um, not just hospitality. But I think in hospitality... Um, we need to be looking more at what are we doing for our people? Um, you know, what what are the working conditions like? What What is their lived-in work day like? From things like staff rooms, staff facilities, you know, are people having to share lockers? Are they having to get changed in cramped, damp conditions in lower basements and cellars? Um you know, uh, is equipment working? Are we really looking after our staff? So I think we do need to look at that. Um, talking to a lot of my peers, staff meals has become um, a, a hot topic in terms of in hospitality, you expect to be fed. You know, staff, um, that, that's kind of one of the perks of the job. But I often have come across staff meals are awful in some places. Mm. Um, you know, and they, these are uh, businesses that are giving amazing food, good quality to their customers, the, yeah, the but guests. then not to their staff. And it's kind of some of those things start to really affect people in terms of, well, if my employer doesn't care about me, it's not, you know, you need to pay people enough so they don't have to worry. And I'm a strong believer in that. But if, if you don't care about your staff, why should they stay? No, they hear here at first, listeners, it starts with their stomachs, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but it, you're right in terms of, I guess, um, wanting people to be valued is all part of the, how you're yeah, treated. That's, that's... You want to be treated, uh, you know, and if, if you're not treating them yeah. in that respect, I guess that's that's something. Yeah, that... and that, that that's part of it, Alex. It, it's, you know, the bigger picture is we're all all having to navigate through really incredibly difficult times that the the constraints on you know business budgets 
the cost of living, the cost of, you know, buying ingredients, moving things through um, is just adding more and more pressure, you know, on people. We're having to do more with less. We're having to scrimp and save um, as much as we can. But it, it comes down to the conditions, um, not just the physical conditions, but it's also the, the way people feel. The, and I've seen a big increase in well-being programmes and focus on that. And companies are doing some amazing things to try and support their people. But you also have to remember, hospitality is a social business. You know, we're, we're here. The, the whole being hospitable is what we're all about, um, not just to customers and guests, but should also be to our staff. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And that's one of the key things with regards to that is having your employees understand that as well. Yeah. You know, because they look after their guests, they should be looked after themselves. And that actually leads us nicely on to some research that we actually carried out. Dam Research found that 75% of individuals surveyed felt that they were not fully utilising their employee benefits package. Um, and in the hospitality industry, I wonder why is the hospitality industry in that situation where 75% of them don't sort of value the benefits because ultimately they're a cost that the employer puts in place and puts these in um, with good intentions. But in terms of if they don't value it, then you could argue that they're not really working as well on that front. And I have to say, having experience in other industry sectors, um, sort of employee benefits is seen as part of your salary. So it's sort of seen as, yeah, yeah what's my salary? As you quite rightly say, what's your conditions of work like, but also what other are my perks or benefits that um, that they should get. And if um, the survey came out that we did this year was 75% of um, employees within the sector didn't see any value in it. And I just wonder, why is the hospitality so, as an industry sector, how can we improve that? Is there any thoughts as to how we could engage yeah. with them? I, I, I think um, th th there's a couple of factors there. Partially awareness uh, in terms of do people fully understand the extent of what you offer? Uh, there's also the element, particularly with online portals, um, there's been a huge increase in uh, obtaining discount vouchers, for supermarkets, that, that sort of thing. But how easy is it for them to get onto your portals and your systems? Um, have you really showcased what you offer to your employees and put some monetary values on there. I know in the past what's always worked um, for me in different organisations I've worked in is actually highlighting all the different possible benefits and putting um, a, a cost value on that. And we, we did something many years ago in Pret, might seem a little bit naughty as part of our recruitment uh, campaign. Um, we produced till receipts and highlighted this is the salary of a manager and we put a cost on what your healthcare benefit was, your pension benefit, um, your free lunch benefit, your whole, all the different things, all the different perks, and we put a monetary value. So that 38K salary was suddenly 56K at the bottom of the receipt. Um, and it was, it was powerful. It also helped us recruit a few people from our competitors, which is why I said it was a bit naughty. But I, I think... I'm doing um, 
quite a lot of work with some of my clients and I actually am talking to people, asking them, what benefits do you value the most or what are you using the most? Uh, things like cycle to work schemes, they're not. It's nice to have. People don't use them generally, um, particularly if you're outside of city areas. But the biggest perk that people are accessing at the moment is discount vouchers off the supermarkets. Absolutely. I mean, it's a no Back down to the cost of living. It is. And you I know, think, as you see, difference. the next few months are going to be yeah. absolutely um, crucial. Yeah. And, and that sort of thing, as you see, as you go through your working career, then these sort of things do sort of appear yeah. and they are seen as perks because they get immediate benefit I suppose but a lot of these perks Alex are standard you know and and expected most companies offer similar sort of things um, so you just need to keep reminding people drip feed it through tell them what it's worth how they can access it make it easy for them but ask them what to the, or measure actually what is being used the most because you might have 75% on you know HR believe that they're not being used, but are they actually measuring it? That it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if you've seen my script, I haven't. <laughs> but that's leading on nicely to the that we are going to look, talk a wee bit about total um, reward statements actually. Um, but one of the things I just wonder in terms of the perception of hospitality as an industry to for youngsters or even university graduates to come in and work at, I suppose. By changing that perception, like you say, of finding out what other things do other industry sectors find useful. And I know from experience, I work in financial services. And of course, the things I look at because I'm in that industry is things like life cover, income protection, critical illness, uh, you know, the protection benefits, yeah. as well as financial well-being side of things. But even in, I speak to my brother who's in the oil and gas industry, and they, again, value a lot of their, it's not just their salary, they look at all the other parts of their overall remuneration um, package that's important. And I think maybe, would you say that, would this um, help or hinder the perception of the UK hospitality industry as a market to be seen as offering a, a career of choice? Um, because I know you've kindly given your background as to how you felt, use the word fell. I use the same word when I fell into financial services. But ultimately, how do we, we've got a sort of drain on we, we've got you know we, certainly in London we've really got issues with regards to recruitment and retention in the hospitality uh, sector how do we get um, the industry to be a, 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 a part of choice and I and would you say that things like total reward statements may be the way that we can they, they are they've got difficulties we're going to talk in a minute but we're trying to inc improve the perception is, is it challenging yeah I, I think well it's a, an age age-old challenge really um, that, that goes back to that perception of Mac jobs uh, where the working in restaurants, bars, hotels is often perceived by um, parents and teachers as being one of those stopgap jobs. You know, you can do it while you're studying. You can, you know, do it to fill a gap um, while you're travelling. It's, it's never had that gravitas of being a career. And yet, when you look at it, HR, for example, finance, IT, marketing, all of the different, you know, uh, logistics, procurement, all, all the amazing areas you can get involved in back of house or front of house. At a young age skills, as well. Yeah, at a very young age. And the skills, we, we talk in HR and hospitality in the committee and we have quite interesting conversations um, around 
why aren't younger people coming in and actually working in hospitality to build up life skills? And the sort of life skills around um, you know, talking to people, working in a team, um, showing some of the, the sort of some of the physical, technical things that you can get involved in. Um, and we don't promote it enough. And I, I, I've gone back many years ago when um, I was at Paul. I was the HR director there. And actually, even when I was at Costa, um, we used to do graduate fairs and go to um, different things. And we tended to be the only hospitality business there because it was the traditional army navy you know the the mod were there the universities were there to try and get these kids you know come to university and do that and we were the only hospitality business there and it, it's it's a shame that we don't encourage more of that but i think as a as a, a an industry we need to lead the way and our voices aren't yet loud enough to get heard or push through to making hospitality a great career and it, it is and it's not just about total reward statements and you know, very few places now pay the minimum wage which is going up they, they pay above um, and when you're going into um, more senior roles salaries are very comparable to other sectors and um, other industries so it's not that low paid interim job particularly when you add on um, bonus and tips in, in many of the businesses that can have a huge boost to your salary. I couldn't agree more I mean we obviously come across a lot of individuals working with the, the sector the hospitality sector and when you actually look at the age that some of them can be in a responsible position general managers at a young age um well paid as you say i was 24 in my first management job i mean uh, and then you can argue also that a lot of in in the uk a lot of careers people are saying oh you need to go to university and to be honest with you there's a lot of sectors that don't necessarily have to you can either learn later on and get a degree later on if you, if you so wish but i think sometimes the UK and uh, um, certain individuals in the politicians that are always pushing and saying you need to be, a, you know, educated university level. There's certain careers, I think, that if you can fall into hospitality, you can't, you know, there's not there's other places, there's worse places to fall. And it really is trying to get that um, message out to the youngsters to think, well, there's actually a, a career. You can have a really terrific career in hospitality and travel the world as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm classic. I, I mean, finan I said before, financial services... I, because of the legislation, I can't um, operate in other sort of countries as such. But, you know, lots Hospitality, of... Hospitality, you can take those skills anywhere. The world is if literally If you want to travel the world, great. And I, I think there's still huge value in university educations, absolutely. Um, and a lot of students end up working in bars, in restaurants, um, to help, you know, with tuition fees. Um, and if you can get them early enough, you can convert them. But in general, employers are, you know, looking for people with, with that degree. And absolutely, if you've um, studied for a degree, gone to university, you've got that discipline, that research, analytical mind. Usually you're building up some of those skills. You tend not to build up the people skills, though, as much. So, um, or life skills that can help you, um, you know, later on in your career. Absolutely. 
I'm actually going to take a step back again. I'm going to sort of question again back into the total reward statement part because that was one question that I did want to sort of just drill in a wee bit more okay, into. Okay, go on. Um, it was, again, just because of the damn uh, round table uh, that we did on the, the benefits, employee benefits side of things, um, one of the factors that came out of that was that um, they were saying that to demonstrate the true value of an employee's entire pay and rewards package, that all attendees that were on the roundtable agreed that they would play a massive um, assistance in aiding the value of an individual's package and, and helping to communicate. But I think there's also the challenge with total rewards statements that isn't just related to hospitality, but just generally to other industry sectors, is that they're all good and well, but they have to be kept up to speed. As such, You've got to good systems abilities to put in all the benefits and as you say put monetary amounts and I, I think when you said a wee bit naughty about your um, approach on the bill on, the, on the, the invoice or the bill thing I think that's a terrific idea I mean that's trying to make it something that's t tangible to those individuals to see what their actual overall benefits are and I, I think that the industry could do could benefit from that but there will be challenges in making sure their system has to keep up to date with all things like making sure the salary is increased. You and could probably do it a different way, though, Alex. You don't have to... Um, yes, you need a, a good system uh, to pull the data through from. You need someone who can do the analytics and pull that data through in a meaningful way and individualise it for each employee. Um, that takes time. Um, you, you can do it that way. But also, you can talk to people about it because a lot of... Um, you know, life cover or pension um, will be pretty much the same amount. So have those conversations. So when line managers are talking to their team, they and you know someone's so I want more money or whatever. They they that's a great opportunity to sit down with them and say, well, actually, you know, we can't. We're not in a position to uplift beyond whatever the the percentage is um, of base salary. But let me just go through. If you add on your free lunch, which, you know, let's take a sandwich and a coffee a day at £5. So you'd be lucky if you can get that now. <laughs> that, that's £1,500, £1,200, a year. You're not having to spend to, to buy your lunch. If you work in an office, you do have to go and spend that. Um, if you add in what, what their average um, tip share is, whether you've got a trunk system or something, you start talking to people about those plus the benefits they can get and put some monetary value on it. People sit up and go, oh, my God, I didn't know it was worth that much. That's amazing. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's a really good point. It doesn't have to be physically like a total reward statement it can be just those discussions that you have as an annual appraisal or something that you yeah, can actually or just regular that. job chats and reviews and, and you know tell people about it don't don't just say we offer a pension did you know your pension is worth and that's it the engagement of it is yeah. absolutely key is getting the individuals to understand because it's talk, like everything else understanding and, I, and yeah. I, yeah, that meal you're absolutely right i mean i've thankfully we work with a lot of excellent uh, hotel groups and they offer um you know canteens yeah and in that canteen, the individual can get choice of three or four, you know, three or four meals at lunchtime. And I've I've had the benefit and the pleasure of having the, the chance to um, utilise them. And you walk away and you think, my goodness, I don't need a meal at night. So yeah. and, 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 and often that's they right. don't. If yeah. You know, it, it, depending on their shifts, so, some companies actually um, give staff two meals a day. So and, and the same if you've got living staff. I've got a lot of clients that have living staff. They don't necessarily have all the facilities, so they're relying on having good food that's healthy, that's going to keep their energy levels up, so that they're 
better able to to work. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I know we've already touched on some of the, and then I want to explore next, but with the forthcoming or already economic challenges that we are seeing, I've read that a lot of restaurants are closing for the season. You know, some are actually saying that, you know, because of the costs of energy, we're closing and we'll reopen in spring. And I think to myself sometimes, you know, even some of them are going down to four days or three days a week, which might help retention of staff because, again, flexibility comes into play to a certain extent. But I just wondered with things, businesses having to reduce because energy costs going up and, you know, people saying it's unprofitable to remain open during the winter. And if you think that you've got the Football World Cup coming up, you've got Christmas, which I guess when you think Big about it... hospitality. Exactly, just around the corner. Surely this is um, the time for the pubs, etc., to be, to be making merry in the tills. Um, so would, what do you envisage the future is, not just for hospitality sector, but also their hard-working staff. I mean, in the when I say the future, I guess the short-term part of things, you know, how do you think, that, how, how are organisations going to come across that? I, I think it's going to be tough uh, for, for many. I see that even locally where I live, that um, one side of our local, it's an independent, um, he, he doesn't open the one side of the bar lounge area, only um, the other side. Uh, I see restaurants closing on a Monday or a Sunday and Monday, which tend to be quieter days of the week for it depends on what type of restaurant it is. Just um, so the, you know, staff then have those as their days off and are able to work. So that that can help with staffing. But I think there's there's that risk that if you close your business for the season, unless you're in seaside resort or somewhere like that, where seasonality is expected, there's a danger you probably won't reopen. And I think that would be a real shame for hospitality. And if you are closing your business, what do you do with your staff? We don't have the furlough scheme or those sort of cushions that we had during COVID. And I know um, during COVID, many businesses pared back, um, reduced their opening hours. Uh, maybe, maybe we do go back to... Goodness, I'm, I'm going to show my age now because when I first worked in a bar... Um, particularly even on a Sunday, pubs were open all day. They, I think, if I remember correct, they were open 12 till 2 on a Sunday and reopened again, I don't know, 6 or 7 or what, whatever. And, and they closed at 10.30 or 11 o'clock. I do remember so, that. They used to ring now, a bell and it was last yeah. order. So it was the last order <laughs> bell. it's like you? 3 o'clock in the morning. And then you think, how the hell are staff going to get home? And that's always been a thing with retail as well. They extended out. So I think if businesses are quite clever they look at their trading patterns they look at how many staff they've got what they typically work maybe they can pare back a few hours or look at not opening up the whole of the restaurants or if you've got two bars only one just to take ease some of that cost but you, you've got businesses that have gone from you know five thousand a month fuel bills to twenty thousand pounds a month fuel bills how do you make up that extra 15k you're not going to do that adding an extra yeah. penny on a pint so, or something. So you have to, you know, and that there are ceilings. We always have that in coffee as well. There's only so much you'll pay for a cup of coffee or, or a glass of wine or a pint of beer. So it, it's kind of you have to think about those ceilings. Do we do slightly smaller 
portions. So we still give good quality food. Um, There's uh, choice, maybe? Yeah. Oh, well, yes, guys. Sometimes you do go into some places and you're overwhelmed with, with the range. Like, what on earth am I going to choose? Yeah, just, just give me a few choices. Um, <laughs> or work more off special boards, which I know some are doing. So they have their very, you know, pared down core menu. And then they use whatever ingredients they can get. And you can be then really creative with your menus. So I think there are lots of options, but if you're closing completely for the winter, you're going to miss out on Christmas. And that is for hospitality. Um, people are still socialising because they want to, and they see pubs and bars as warm, welcoming places. They're not shopping on the high street as much. So I think retail seeing a bit more of a squeeze than hospitality from what i can see and read and, and I, I always think a pub is a social it's part of a it's social it's part of your community yeah. it should really be part of the community and it would be absolutely criminal if if they do have to shop but you, i've read these stories as well where they're yeah. talking about the energy crisis going up like four or five fold and yeah. you just think how are they going to survive and it's 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 a really tough tough uh, conundrum to to resolve what i want to look at um next is you have made the transition from HR to a CEO role in, in the past. And I'd be curious to know what sort of advice you would give other HR colleagues um, in your peer groups or perhaps on how you would potentially make the transition. And do you think there should be more HR people obviously moving into the CEO roles? Um, and how do organisations, because when you think HR is all about keeping their employees and making sure they understand their employees, so if you're working in HR, you should understand the business um, so you know what the employees want. And do you not think there should be... That would obviously, to me, translate to a position further up the tree. So what I'm trying to allude to is how do we get more HR individuals? And maybe you'll prove me wrong and say there's lots of them, but certainly from my experience... I think there aren't enough. Yeah. Exactly. So how... More are coming through, but there aren't enough. Um, I, I think I will always go back to... Um, I'm a strong believer you need to know your business. And I remember when Maxime asked me uh, to become the MD uh, for, for Paul at the time. Um, my, my first question was, well, why me and not the finance director? Because that's the usual route um, into that role. And he said to me at the time, he said, Esther, you know the business. You spend time out in the business you've made a real difference to people for our business uh, and I, I actually I mean I was really pleased and proud and a bit shocked uh, when, when he said that but I do know the business and I try and encourage every HR person that either I assess or I'm in conversations with and just almost you know beat the drum get to know your business spend time out there Go and walk in the shoes. Um, be out in stores or regional areas or warehouses or depots or different hotel or restaurant branches. Go and spend time on the shop floor. And I think that's been encouraged for many years in my role where um, every organisation I've worked in has had that buddy shop or buddy experience where... Support roles are encouraged to go and spend time out in the business. Now, you could go and, you know, work in housekeeping for a day. Only two, three times a year 
just go and walk in their shoes understand if you've got you know people working at night or in the kitchen i i used to go to the bakery at three o'clock in the morning over in east acton and i say to people great time to drive through london because trust me there's very little traffic uh through there so you can just zip through in half an hour instead of an hour and a half because why would i ask the bakers to stay until nine o'clock for me to rock up and have a conversation with them go there when they're doing that go and work in there I, I was banned from patisserie and I think I might I may have told you this one <laughs> that uh, one night I was in there working with uh, Hervé trying to um, fill a clairs and they had massive <laughs> piping bags and we rejected over 70 eclairs that day um, because the piping bag was too big. I got them smaller piping bags as a result of doing that. But everyone took home eclairs and the shops were uh, short delivered because um, I'd rejected or managed to uh, not fill them properly. Well, and there's an example of where you've actually seen someone that by being on the shop floor as such, you've actually seen a development that you've saw by your own eyes. Yeah. And if you hadn't been in, you were sitting in your Get office, ivory tower. Bags. Yeah, <laughs> and that's terrific. And I suppose... Maybe if HR, you know, sometimes I don't know if hotels they still have duty managers sometimes or at the yeah, weekends. They maybe the yeah. maybe if and HR, senior HR, you know, usually rotates um, in most hotels um, and do the the on duty um, piece. That's a great time to actually walk through your hotels at night and uh, see what's going on, understand, get that deeper insight into behind the scenes and what are your staff experiencing. So basically, HR, you hear it first, you get out yeah. and um, be but, part of the business, but, not but just also, the people. But you also need to understand the business aspects as well. And I think that that comes back down to data, analytics and measures. And as a HR professional, we need to understand that more. We need to understand what EBITDA is on the profit lines, what each of those lines mean, what's driving labour costs, what's driving margins um, in our business, what fixed assets are in depreciation. Those sort. You don't have to intimately read a P&L, but you do need to know the finance language. So and, spend and time with the finance. Yeah, HR should be great friends with finance. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, great. That's excellent. Um, just to sort of finalise a, a sort of final uh, question, I, I read a report from a company called Withal um, that concluded that more than half of hospitality, travel, leisure and retail businesses in the UK lack ethnic diversity at board level. How do you feel the industry needs to tackle that diversity and inclusion conundrum at senior management and board level? And do you think HR leads the way in the front in terms of the diversity in its profession? Um, and I think there was a topic on one of your HR um, events as well. But uh, what's your sort of views on how does, you know, diversity and inclusivity, if I can say the word, um, how does that fit HR in? HR speak E-D-N-I. <laughs> um, I, I think it's not just hospitality, sadly, Alex. Fair it's enough. That's tr- it's yep. across the sector. Mm. I think if I take HR, um, often perceived as female dominance, Yet when you get more senior roles, the gender diversity changes. Um, HR has the added challenge of, in many organisations, they don't have a seat at the table or on the board. They might have on management boards, but not on the, that senior level. Um, and then you start questioning, well, why is that? You know, not, not just HR, regardless of your gender or ethnicity, 
we don't always have that seat on the table. And that comes back down to our credibility to understand and know the business um, and be able to talk the language of the business and add value. And to go into board meetings and contribute, have a view, ask those questions. Um, I, I give the example of sales and marketing will come in and say, we've done this great campaign. We've had this amount of customers coming through and everything else. And HR might sit there and go, oh, our absence rate is up a bit by 4%. But what, what does that mean? What's driving it? What, what does that mean in terms of cost to the business or loss of, you know, ser or drop in service levels? We, we don't talk about that enough. So I think there's that challenge. The diversity challenge, I, I, I think, is across the board. We, we live and work in London, so it's a very cosmopolitan city. You go outside of London or major cities, the demographic is quite different. Absolutely. Um, and it, it it goes back into a lot of social issues around um, race and ethnicity um, in terms of that. Uh, how, how far, you know, can people go? Um, are they encouraged to go? Or is there still that unconscious bias there? I think that bubbles way across sectors, not just hospitality. But you go into many places and you see your front-facing staff are amazing and very diverse. Um, age might be one of our diversity challenges, but uh, certainly in terms of ethnicity and gender, it, it's it's amazing. But yeah, how do we how do we get further up and promote that as you see with all in, in the whole industry sector plus in the entertainment like even football and that you have to have role models i guess yeah. and that's yeah. what we have and to that, that, that comes back down to i was watching a program on tv this week um and it was actually uh halle berry um was talking and her mentor was a teacher she went to a predominantly white school um there were only two um, black women who were teachers um, for her to look up to and um, role model. And it's that whole thing, if on TV or in a senior role, I see someone who looks like me, then I feel I can do that. I can achieve it's that. It's giving that extra. And, yeah, and until we get those more senior, prominent, whether it is you know more women or whether it is more ethnic um, mix, when we're not going to move forward i think we've still got an incredibly long way to go sadly and, and as you say it's not to be fair it's not hospitality specific no, it's, it's, it's not. throughout the whole industry sectors that we've got in britain so but i i think at, at that core level hospitality does very well from a diversity um, mixed perspective brilliant well thanks very much esther for your participation and insights into this uh, podcast i hope uh, listeners you've enjoyed this latest edition and uh, until the next time we'll be seeing you thanks alex thank you so much for tuning in to the damn good podcast if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review it really does help us reach more ears you can follow us on LinkedIn on Damn Good Finance or visit our website at www.damngoodpensions.com. If you'd like us to put a question to one of our esteemed guests, please do not hesitate to get in touch. Until the next time, here's to your tomorrow.